Hello, welcome to Hidden History, an Odyssey Through Time. I'm your host, John Rodriguez, and welcome to Season 3 of the Best History Podcast North of New York City. This is Episode 24 of the podcast, and the title of this episode is Personal Account of an Undesirable, The Unforgettable Story of Corporal Tony Acevedo. Up to 500,000 Hispanic Americans, including 350,000 Mexican Americans and 53,000 Puerto Ricans, served during the Second World War. Exact numbers are difficult because, with the exception of the 65th Infantry Regiment from Puerto Rico, Hispanics were not segregated into separate units, as African Americans were. When war was declared on December 8, 1941, thousands of Hispanics were among those that rushed to enlist. Hispanics served with distinction throughout Europe, in the Pacific Theater, North Africa, the Aleutians, and the Mediterranean. Among other honors earned, 13 medals of honor were awarded to Hispanics for service during World War II. While the war raged on and Hispanics fought overseas, thousands of Hispanic men and women back home in the United States worked on railroads, in mines, shipyard and airplane factories, and as crucial agricultural labor. A national agricultural labor shortage jeopardized the war effort, so the U.S. government established the Bracero Program, which permitted millions of Mexican men to work legally in the United States on short-term labor contracts. These agreements with Mexico not only addressed the national labor shortage during World War II, but they were also meant to make right the previous Depression-era deportations that unjustly targeted Mexican-Americans who were U.S. citizens. One Mexican-American who was unjustly deported to Mexico in 1937, despite the fact that he had been born in California and was an American citizen, was a young man named Anthony Tony Acevedo. After the attack on Pearl Harbor by Japan, 17-year-old Tony returned to the United States and was inducted into the U.S. Army with a letter of consent from his father since Tony was underage. He was shipped out to Europe and participated in the Battle of the Bulge, where he and other American soldiers were captured and held prisoner by the Nazis. An army medic, Tony did whatever it took to survive while helping those around him as best he could. He also kept a secret journal while he was a prisoner, which later proved critical in documenting the deaths and atrocities inside the Nazi slave labor camp he was held in. Tony would go on to become the first and only Mexican-American ever recognized as a Holocaust survivor. Tony's story, hidden history that has remained long forgotten, is the story of a Hispanic American who suffered unimaginable horrors as a prisoner of war and a nation that didn't do enough to honor his heroism. Anthony Claude Acevedo was born in San Bernardino, California on July 31, 1924 the child of undocumented immigrants, and lived in Pasadena as a child. His mother, Maria Luisa, died when he was two years old, and his father, Francisco, eventually remarried. He liked California, but as a Mexican-American, he was forced to deal with prejudice and segregation. Anthony, who went by Tony, was forced to attend segregated schools with blacks, Asians, and other Hispanics. He wasn't allowed to play with white children, attend the same classes, or swim in the same pools. The environment made him feel unwanted. 
During the Great Depression, as many as one million people of Mexican descent were targeted by state and federal authorities and strongly encouraged to voluntarily relocate or risk formal deportation. An estimated 60% of those targeted were American citizens. In 1937, Tony, his father, stepmother, and five siblings relocated from California to Durango, Mexico. Two years after Tony and his family moved to Mexico, on September 1, 1939, Nazi Germany invaded Poland and sparked World War II. To justify this course of action, Nazi propagandists accused Poland of persecuting ethnic Germans living in Poland. They also falsely claimed that Poland was planning with its allies, Great Britain and France, to encircle and dismember Germany. The SS, in collusion with the German military, staged a phony attack on a German radio station, which the Germans then falsely accused the Poles of committing. Two days after the invasion of Poland, Britain and France declared war on Nazi Germany. However, when the Soviet Union invaded Poland from the east on September 17 on the side of the Germans, Poland was doomed. By the end of September, Poland officially surrendered to the Germans. By June 1940, Germany had conquered France, leaving Great Britain as the only remaining unconquered country in the world still at war with Hitler. Although the United States was a neutral country at the time and was not actively involved in the war, President Roosevelt began sending tanks, warplanes, food, and ammunition to Great Britain. In a nationwide radio broadcast, he asserted that the best policy for keeping the United States out of war was to become, quote, the arsenal of democracy, extending full material support to the Allies. Ironically, the United States became fully involved in the European war as a result of events that took place on the other side of the globe. On December 7, 1941, Japanese carrier planes attacked the American fleet at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, knocking out over 200 planes and sinking or damaging eight battleships, the pride of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. A total of 2,403 Americans were killed and 1,178 others were wounded. On December 8, 1941, the day after the attack, Roosevelt delivered his famous Day of Infamy speech to a joint session of Congress, calling for a formal declaration of war on the Empire of Japan. Congress approved his request less than an hour later. Naturally, Germany and Italy, Japan's allies, responded by declaring war against the United States. Growing up, Tony had aspirations to become a medical doctor. At the age of 17, Acevedo returned to the United States to enroll in college. However, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, he was inducted into the U.S. Army. Since he was not yet 18, in October 1942, his father sent a letter to the U.S. Army emphasizing Tony's desire to serve as a medic and consenting to his enrollment in the military. Upon reporting for induction, Tony was informed by the Army that his education in Mexico was not enough, so he began classes at Pasadena City College. He was inducted into the U.S. Army on August 9, 1943, after completing the three-month semester and then began training as an Army medic. 
After undergoing infantry training and cramming a year of medical training into four and a half months, he was sent to Europe in the fall of 1944 as a corporal in Company B, 275th Infantry Regiment, 70th Infantry Division. A devout Roman Catholic, Acevedo carried a prayer missile with him on the battlefield. When soldiers shared their fears with him, he taught them prayers to comfort them. Acevedo later recalled that his faith encouraged him not to be afraid. Tony's company fought in Belgium and France during the Battle of the Bulge, one of the last offensive campaigns by the German military, which lasted for six weeks between December 1944 and January 1945. The battle was particularly brutal for the 600,000 Americans who fought, and tens of thousands of Americans were killed or wounded. It was Tony's first combat experience, and he bravely tended to the wounded in the middle of machine gun fire. When the men of Company B had nearly exhausted their ammunition and strength, they surrendered on January 6, 1945. As Tony and the others trudged into captivity, they joined nearly 24,000 Americans who were captured in late December 1944 and early January 1945. They were forced to march barefoot in waist-high snow after having their shoes stripped from them so they couldn't escape and were taken to Bad Orb, Stalag 9B, one of the most notorious camps in the German prisoner of war system, where violations of the Geneva Convention regularly occurred. At Stalag 9B, Acevedo became prisoner 27016. Gestapo officers separated Tony from the others and interrogated him, knowing information about him that he didn't think possible. Let's hear from Tony himself a little bit about that terrible situation. While we were there resting, uh... We heard the chains being undone at the door. And so two guards with machine guns walked in. And then behind a top-notch officer, Gestapo, was behind them. And we just kind of looked and thought, he must be a movie star or something. He had a, a nice, beautiful cat. Uh, he had a mod, a cigarette tip, a monocle, and his baton. He dressed with a, a, a coat, leather coat, black coat, all the way down to about his knees. Something you out of the ordinary you wouldn't believe, and uh, went around looking, uh, staring, and using his baton to uncover the faces of some of the fellas he was looking for. And Lord, behold! Before you knew it, he, he tacked it on me, and he told me, "says up, rouse." And they directed me to to a room. There was a table and two chairs. He told the guards, move out. 
and the interrogation started. Well, to my amazement, he started to tell me my life story, where I was born, who my parents were, and uh, he says, what's your name? I told him my name, I see that he knew that, he knew my serial number before I even thought to tell it. Tony was interrogated further and tortured for any information about the Allies that he could provide. The Germans also thought Tony was a spy from Mexico, providing information on the Germans to the Americans. The abuse Tony endured at the hands of the Nazis included sexual violence, but he never gave the Germans any valuable information. One month after Tony's arrival, he was one of 350 American servicemen in Bad Orb chosen for transfer to the Berger Slave Labor Camp, part of the Buchenwald concentration camp system. The men were chosen because they were suspected of being Jewish or were otherwise classified as, quote, racially undesirable by the Nazis. Not only was Tony Mexican, but he was Catholic, and this mix was frowned upon by the Nazis, who preferred men and women who had blonde hair, blue eyes, and only worshipped Hitler as their god. At Berger concentration camp, the prisoners endured inhumane treatment as laborers in underground tunnels, clearing space for an underground munitions factory. They worked alongside prisoners from nearby Buchenwald, all while suffering from starvation and beatings. Tony was one of six medics among the 350 POWs who did their best to treat and comfort their fellow captives. Throughout his ordeal as a forced laborer at Berga, Tony maintained a secret diary of his experiences and recorded the dates and causes of his fellow soldiers' deaths. He knew he would be punished if he was caught keeping the record, but he later explained that it was his, quote, moral obligation to document the names of those who had died. Tony's fountain pen lasted throughout his imprisonment, and he later remarked, quote, God gave me that ink to last. The truth was, Tony extended the ink supply by mixing in snow and urine. Let's listen to what Tony had to say about writing the diary, including how he dropped the diary a few times while he was out on tea runs. I didn't realize that maybe uh, if I say I'm going to write whatever I can and see if it'll go through. And uh, so I started to kind of word little by little of things that related to our area. And uh, so that's a, my, uh, that motivated me to uh, write a little bit here and there of what we were doing. And because uh, that box of rations, well, you didn't get much in it. And the Germans didn't care about uh, giving us nothing out of that. And so I took advantage to, to write down whatever I could and see if it'll stay there and see if they wouldn't take it away from me. So I made a listing down the road and repeated it many times, a couple of times, uh, of, the, of the names of the fellows with their uh, POW number. 
and uh, it did. I it did drop it a couple of times on the T run. We call it T run because in the morning, so we go pick up the barrels of water, and there was no tea. It was just uh, sargas, much less. Uh, in the winter time, uh, nothing grows out there. Everything's dead. So they took out the weeds and and then used the like the hay and boil it, and thinking it was tea to make us believe there was tea. By January 1945, it was clear that Nazi Germany would lose the war. When the Nazi guards realized that American and Soviet troops were closing in on their location, they evacuated the POWs from Berga. On April 7, 1945, Tony and the other starving and weak prisoners were forced on a death march, traveling 217 miles day and night, sleeping on the roadside with no shelter. Tony remembered the casualties in this period. Quote, my list started to grow little by little. During his time in combat and in captivity, Tony's Catholic faith sustained him and gave him the strength to survive. He saw the power of belief in a higher power from individuals of all different faiths give men comfort and sustenance. The conditions in Berga and the following death march were deadly. Between 70 and 86 of the 350 POWs transferred from Stalag 9B died before liberation. 70% of those who died perished on the two-week death march after the abandonment of the camp before the approaching allies, just prior to liberation by American forces on April 23, 1945. Tony recalled about his liberation and the moment of freedom. Quote, When we heard our tanks, the 11th Armored Division, and the tankers started strolling by, I remember the young fellow picked me up like a feather, put me on top of the tank. I felt weak. I had lost from 145 down to 87 pounds. I was about 19 and a half years old. On June 12, 1945, Tony, then 20 years old, returned to the U.S. and was discharged that year, on December 10th. He earned two Purple Hearts for injuries. He also received the Good Conduct Medal, two Bronze Stars, and a Medic Badge. Tony went on to work as a surgical technician in an ear, nose, and throat clinic in Pasadena. Around that time, he took a trip to Durango, Mexico to visit his father, who didn't believe his account of being held in a slave labor camp. Quote, you're a coward for allowing yourself to be captured, his father told him. You should have killed yourself. Tony left Mexico and did not speak to his father for seven years. While still physically recovering, Tony struggled with trauma and fought the stigmatization, even within his own family, of POWs as losers and cowards. The road to health and back to civilian society was difficult. Tony's battles were not over, even after his homecoming. It took him six years to gain the weight that he had lost in his four months as a prisoner. The emotional damage inflicted on him by his father, who had been a violent and domineering presence in Tony's life, would take even longer to heal. Eight months after his disastrous trip to Mexico, Tony married Amparo Martinez, and together they had four children, 
Tony Jr., Rebecca, Fernando, and Ernesto. Tony and his wife later divorced and he married Maria Dolores Lamb in the 1980s, who he remained with for the rest of his life. It is also worth noting that Tony Acevedo did not receive support from the nation he had served. Tony and the others who had been taken to Burger Concentration Camp were made to sign a gag order about their particular experiences. They were threatened with jail time by the U.S. government should they speak out about their treatment under the Nazis. It took decades before the story would be exposed and available to the public. Listen to what Tony had to say about the gag order. We were told in signing that that we weren't that if we were ever to open our mouths, uh, we would be federally jailed forever. It's just like a crime for saying something that we weren't supposed to say. Well, turns out what we found out later, United States was involved with Diamond Lee corporations, Ford, General Motors. They were involved with Germany, all the foreigners. And who else? With Japan, Toshiba, Mitsubishi, and all that. And here we would jeopardize the lives of our men that were prisoners in Japan. It didn't make sense. Later, the U.S. government revealed that this was supposed to be a temporary gag order. However, Acevedo believed that this was a lifetime ban on discussing his time during World War II which is why he waited so long to share his story. Tony continued working as a surgical technician, then became a design engineer for aerospace companies in Southern California. He retired in 1987, but retirement caused the demons of war to resurface. Tony would break into a sweat four to five times a day, shaking and trembling as he relived his captivity. At night, he was haunted by nightmares so intense his muscles would constrict and he'd wake up screaming. He'd relive seeing a fellow medic killed by machine gun fire. Germans would shove him with bayonets. A dead comrade would suddenly flash into his mind. To help cope with his PTSD, Tony volunteered at the VA hospital in Loma Linda, California. He said he liked spending time with the veterans there because so many died alone. Tony also shared his war story with students locally for years and has spoken to a couple of authors who wrote books on the Burga soldiers. Tony decided to speak with CNN in 2008 to make sure his story was preserved in the internet age. Quote, let it be known, he said, people have to know what happened. In 2009, the US government formally recognized that the POWs taken to Burga were slave laborers as well as POWs. The following year, in 2010, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum recognized Anthony Acevedo as the first Mexican-American on their Benjamin and Vlaca Mead Registry of Holocaust Survivors. That same year, Tony donated his diary, along with his Red Cross armband, a prayer book he always carried during the war, a cross, and numerous photographs to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Quote, 
Tony's was the first diary the museum received that was written by an American in a concentration camp, Holocaust Museum curator Kyra Schulster said in an interview. When Tony donated his collection, other Berger families came forward. Every time I tell their story, the reaction I get is, I never heard this before. If Tony hadn't spoken up, we would never have had their story. In December 2017, Tony was hospitalized with heart problems. His son, Fernando, was searching through his father's military records when he found a psychiatric evaluation from 1996 for a military disability application. Fernando's heart sank as he read through the file. Suddenly, everything made sense. His father's tremors, his waking in the middle of the night, his screams. The evaluation detailed a war crime his father could not speak about with his son. Quote, he was gang raped while the Germans laughed and became sexually aroused, the file said. He was humiliated and felt violated, like a toy, not a human being. Veteran had extremely traumatic experiences in combat and in the hands of the Gestapo, who were ruthless in their methods. When his father returned from the hospital, Fernando sat him down and showed him the file. Oh, his father said, I'm glad you found it. Fernando said his father paused before continuing. I want you to tell everyone what I went through and how I struggled with the nightmares. I want you to tell everybody. Tony told his son to include the rape in his obituary so the world can understand. Quote, this is how low man can get. Anthony Tony Acevedo passed away on February 11, 2018 at a veterans hospital in Loma Linda, California, five months before his 94th birthday. He had congestive heart failure and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, according to one of his sons, Fernando. Tony spent more than 20 years as a volunteer at the Veterans Hospital in Loma Linda, where he died. His body was draped in a U.S. flag and prepared for a traditional honor walk, a way to treat a veteran's death with dignity. Word spread throughout the hospital that the beloved Acevedo, whose warmth and love cheered up veterans, doctors, and nurses alike, was gone. Hallways overflowed with people standing at attention as Tony was accompanied by his four children. Quote, They saluted my dad all the way up and down the hallway as we were walking. Four floors like that, Fernando said. Nurses, doctors, patients who were able to stand. Everyone was standing at attention saluting my dad. I tell you, that was really heavy. Survivors included four children from his first marriage, Tony, Rebecca, Fernando and Ernesto, two brothers, a sister, and six grandchildren. His second wife, Dolores Maria Lamb, died in 2014 after more than 20 years of marriage. Tony Acevedo was buried at Riverside National Cemetery in California, near the Prisoner of War Missing in Action Memorial. I would like to end this episode with a few words from Tony himself about faith in God on the battlefield. Some of us had that courage of maintaining a uh, have faith. Prayed. I carried my uh, prayer book and uh, 
have faith, some didn't have faith. I'll tell you one thing, that some fellows that uh, never thought religiously, never went to church, asked me to baptize them in, 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 uh, in combat. We were in combat before being prisoners. Uh, because uh, I, we understood that us medics, we were told that if we were approached by, the chaplain even mentioned it, if we were approached by a fellow that has a courage of changing himself because of uh, the moments of uh, fear, suicidal intentions, help him. And uh, I did my best. Same thing when in battle uh, or in prison camp. Some just were moments of where, hey, listen, I, I have a feeling I'm not going to be back. He said, could you baptize me? And no matter what religion, that's what kept them some, some kept them uh, where they lived through it, the faith. Thank you for listening and I hope that you've learned something new today. Season 3 of Hidden History will explore the lives of veterans of the United States as well as veterans of foreign countries historically connected to our nation, such as Britain, France, and Spain. Many of their stories have been hidden in the pages of history and deserve to be told. Pictures, newspaper clippings, and links to external articles relating to a particular episode are available on our website, hiddenhistorypod.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm John Rodriguez, and until we meet again, this has been Hidden History, an Odyssey Through Time. Thank you.